0: Let us help you reach your peak in retirement. It's time for Retirement Elevated with
1: Sean Lee. Welcome to the Retirement Elevated Podcast with Sean P. Lee. I'm Sean P. Lee, managing partner of Elevated Retirement Group here in Salt Lake City. And today on the podcast, we've got a special guest. We've got Christopher J. Cordova. Chris, how are you, buddy?
0: I'm great, Sean. How are you?
1: Good. Now, for those that don't know, Chris is one of the advisors here in our office. And I grabbed him, wanted him to come in. And I thought we were going to have a really good conversation today on real financial advising is actually solving problems. It's not just an investment strategy. But before we jump into that, I wanted to talk to Chris a little bit about his background, his designations, and how he got into the industry. Now, if you're listening to the podcast and you want to be able to download it, just go to Stitcher, Google Podcast, or iTunes. You can find our podcast there. Um, Chris, you just most recently got your RICP designation. Can you tell everybody really what that designation stands for and what it means to you as an advisor.
0: Sure. And it's funny how time goes by. It's actually been a little over two years, <laughs> oh, <geez>. right? Gosh. <laughs> but anyway, the... It's um, recent. Yeah. <laughs> the designation I got really because I wanted to focus the <laughs> continued education that I took on what we really deal with every day. And that is planning for retirees and pre-retirees. So a lot of what the designation went through is a lot of detail on social security planning, tax planning for retirees, income planning. So how to effectively take withdrawals on assets and different strategies. And a lot of the things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, whereas a lot of other designations, which I'm in the middle of taking another designation right now, but anyway, a lot of them focus on general retirement planning where I thought this one was going to be valuable to myself and the firm and clients because of its, again, focus on the things that people are dealing with day-to-day in retirement planning. So it
1: took a while to get that. Walk me through the timeline that it took. You know, how many classes did you need to take in order to get this designation? What were the requirements? Because RICP, CFP, MSFS, you know, all those different mm-hmm. designations have different requirements. What did the RICP require of you?
0: So I might get some of this wrong, and and you can actually go and search the designation retirement income certified professional, and see what the actual requirements are. Just in case I get it wrong, but um, there were, I think, something like six different modules, and each one of them required, you know, obviously certain quizzes and then a, and things like that study, and then a larger test at a test center for each one, and so. And each one of those tests was it was a big deal. You go into a facility, and you know you can't bring anything. They give you you know a calculator, and, and that's about all you walk in there with. It's a timed test, and you have to have a certain grade in order to pass it. If you don't pass it, then you don't pass that section, and you therefore you have to do that for each section to actually go to a, a larger test to wrap up the whole thing. And so that was the process. Typically, and I think it probably they want people to take it in about two years to finish it I really wanted to knock it out quickly and I think I got it done it was less than a year that I got it done but you know a lot of times it's going to take you about two years so that was kind of the process it was pretty stressful a lot of things that I learned I really enjoyed doing it because a lot of the things that I learned I was able to bring into the meetings and right away implement with clients and working with clients
1: awesome so I bottom line with that it's it wasn't an overnight test. It's not an open book. You know, there are some of these designations that are out there that you can go, you can take an open book test, do it online or whatever it may be. That RICP designation, it's a time commitment. It was very intensive. But you're glad that you got it because it's helped you better your practice.
0: Yeah, and it does require, you know, there was a cost associated with it. There's ongoing costs associated with it. And there's ongoing continuing education in order to maintain that designation as well. You have to have, I can't recall, it's either 24 or 30 additional continuing education every two years in order to just maintain your ability to keep that designation intact. Wow.
1: So that leads us into the discussion that we're gonna have today. And really what we're going to talk about today is real financial advising is solving problems. Most people think that a financial advisor's primary job is picking investments, but really that's only a small part of it. The reality is that the primary job is solving problems and putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And what I thought we'd do today is I'll just throw out some situations that you and I have encountered, we'll talk about it, that we've seen over the years where financial planning became less about picking the investments and more about solving the problems. Because if you think about it, and most people that come into our office, common questions, and I talked about this in the recent podcast is, you know, Sean, how do I make the most amount of money possible? Or, you know, how do I structure my investments to get the greatest returns when that's really not always the right outlook when it comes to planning or the thing that should be focused on? Would you... Let's start with that. Would you agree with that or disagree that?
0: Yeah, and you're right. A lot of time people will jump right into that as their main priority when a lot of times looking at returns and things like that are, are sometimes the last things that we're going to look at when creating a plan.
1: So let's talk about this scenario because this happens quite a bit. We work, do a lot of work with Questar Gas employees, well, formerly Questar, now Dominion Energy. And when Dominion came in, A lot of the employees were maybe forced into an early retirement. We've got a number of families that were in that situation where they were forced to retire at 56, 57, 59, whatever it may be. They just weren't quite ready to retire yet. But when we start to look at solving those problems, talk to me a little bit about a recent encounter that you've had or or what you've gone through with someone who was forced into an early retirement.
0: Sure. So, um, recently sat down with somebody and they were forced into retirement not from the company that you're talking about but a different company for this situation is you know it's recently on the top of my head it was a uh, i think more of an insult that to anything to this person and in reality the severance package and things like that that they got and it was pre-65 so he's not currently eligible for medicare but that's poses another problem in terms of insurance and things like that. Now, this company gave a a decent severance package and paid for some of these other costs. And so that wasn't something that he needed to necessarily worry about. But sometimes it is. So if you are forced into early retirement, and you do wish to continue to work, then that poses another problem if the severance package or whatever is not going to cover some of these other pre-Medicare expenses, which can get really expensive. In this case, the spouse was not working either. And so now we have two individuals. Now this will be a problem because the severance for this person is only going to cover the medical expenses until he hits 65 and then it's going to stop. And so the wife is going to have another like a year and a half that she's going to have to go out in the open market and get medical insurance. And that's just another expense that they weren't necessarily planning on. So what benefits are going to be lost at that point of separation? Do you want to continue to work or were you planning on retiring within the year anyway? These are often things that just need to be looked at and depending on the situation and what the person was intending to do anyway could either be a really big impact or just kind of a bump in the road. Now statistics do tell us that when people do leave early and at this point know at 64 sometimes it's tough to get into another position an equal position and so they'll often be underemployed for that period of time just to get some income and wages and that can be a real problem too so not every one of these situations of forced retirement is has the same problems but again it goes back to looking at the full situation what did you want to do anyway what do you now want to do and then seeing where we can start to fill gaps where we can and if wage income, what that's going to look like in the future.
1: No, I think that's great. And, and we talk about this a lot. we just recently ran into a situation where there was a flip side. You know, your example, the gentleman and his family, they were close to that Medicare age, but they had a little bit of an age gap. But you know, I was looking at and completing a plan the other day that the gal, she was 56 And when you look at a forced early retirement at 56, now the rules of engagement are even bigger. There's even a much bigger difference. And when you look at that, now you've got to have some real creative tax planning put in place as well for an individual like that because the rules of just withdrawing from your IRAs, it's just not that easy. You've either got to understand tax planning one, but two, if an individual retires at 56, how are they going to get their money out? And there's a number of ways, right? They can leave some money in a 401k, and they can pull from the 401k,
0: which allows for withdrawals without the 10% early withdrawal penalty. That's Because that can get a little <coughs> bit confusing just for people who are listening. Right. That's only available if you leave it in the old 401k that you were separated from and you were over the age of 55. Right. So if you're under 55, that option's not available. But that,
1: no, that's a good point, because you do have to be over the 50, age of 55. Or you can do a 72T distribution, which we've seen some families come to us, they are already doing it. I don't know if that's the most efficient way, but there's some ways to get the money out. I guess my point here when it comes to this is, it takes more than just an investment strategy, right? You've, right. Got, you've got to take into account, what age are you at? How are you gonna solve healthcare? how does social security down the road play into this? Because you know, if you're gonna retire at 65 or 64, that social security discussion's a little bit easier than basically building a two-pronged plan if you're 56. Now, I know that planning is, in some instances, can be painful, you know, and we talk about this a lot, but if you think about the time commitment that it takes to really build a good, good plan, a all-encompassing plan, it's really two meetings, right? Definitely. A lot of the work goes on the back end, but yeah, you have the initial discussion, which is more laying out strategy, but really the work and and the commitment comes in the evaluation and the design meetings, and that's a two-meeting process where when you look at your financial world, when you look at planning, is it worth two afternoons?
0: Well, and I think just so it's a little clearer, it's really, for what we do, it's a three-meeting process, right? And you kind of said that, but sometimes it gets confusing. Where Our initial meeting is really just getting an overview of what's important to you. What are you trying to accomplish? What are some of the fundamental things that we want to have happen in retirement? Gathering some data, but then, like you said, then after that first meeting, there's two meetings after that. So it's really a total three-meeting process where I've been at firms before and where it's been encouraged to really get that process over as quickly as possible so you can move on to the next person. And you're really under a time crunch to... Move assets as quickly as possible because you've got contract validations, you got to meet, and you've got deadlines, and you've got your trips, you're trying to, and all that <laughs> nonsense, right? That you had to deal with, and so it's really more about moving those assets as quickly as possible, and the plan and the client suffers in that type of environment.
1: Absolutely, and then from there, it's overview, oversight, and review. I mean, consistent reviews, making sure that that the plan is doing what it's supposed to. Those crucial dates are are accounted for, whether it's social security or you need to withdraw your RMDs, your required minimum distribution, something along those lines. So making sure that you have a consistent review process or what we'll call as a proactive service review process, which everything's laid out for you. Now let's go into another situation because it kind of leads into that where someone who's forced into retirement, but it's someone just who really hated their job Mm -hmm. and said, Chris, I want to retire as soon as possible. I can't take it anymore. I'm struggling getting up in the morning. I believe that it's taking years off my life because I need to continue to work. How can you get me to retirement as quick as possible?
0: So it's a similar process, really. None of these challenges are going to change the process, right? So we're going to first again figure out what's fundamentally what you want to have happen in retirement and this one of these fundamental things is retire as soon as possible right but then there's other things so what other things you want to have happen in retirement going through that process and then again same process seeing okay based on where you're at today and if you did retire how does that look what does the plan look like and where are some of the potential problems that are going to you're not going to like um, how does this affect um, you, you mentioned it your withdrawal strategy Uh, depending on your age you may have to be tactical and doing a little bit more creative withdrawal strategies if you are not going to work at all can your portfolio withstand that type of stress for a longer period of time than you were originally planning on another question I ask is is it just work in general or is it this current job is it your boss or is there something else you would rather do do you want to earn wages in some other capacity? Cause sometimes people just hate their job because of the environment or the drive or the people that are around or something like that, but they, they don't desire to completely stop or working. And so if that's the case and you know what, I, I really want it to be a, you know, work at home depot and you get those benefits and you know, I like lumber and <laughs> whatever the heck right, you want to do. If there's right. something you really enjoy doing i got a client who has a part-time job at a BMW dealership, being a the driver. You know, when you get your oil change, you need to go to your work, yeah. and, and he drives the BMWs all day, and it's like he loves it. He's not getting any benefits or anything. He's not really making any money, but he's making a little bit of wages that's filling some of that gap so he doesn't have to withdraw that much more out of the assets or whatever. So there's a lot of different things that you can do to earn wages to fill some of that gap. So is that part of the equation? So some of the other problems if you don't want to work is, again, what age are you? How is this going to affect your medical benefits? What benefits will be lost? You know, How much of this not contributing to a 401k for this longer period of time, does that put a strain on the assets? And so we want to look at it in two different ways. One is how is it going to affect the plan between you and your partner if you're married? If it's just one person, there's only one person we really need to worry about. And so we don't have to look at a survivor scenario. And so it's a little bit easier to plan for. But if there is a spouse involved and that other spouse isn't working or whatever the case is, does this retiring as soon as possible, maybe it works while you're both alive. And when you're looking at both of you guys live, where you both have the social security income coming in, you know, that type of thing. And those assets can sustain, but what if somebody dies and there's a pension or, you know, so there's going to be a little bit of a loss of pension. You're always going to have a loss of social security income when there's two people drawing social security, but that early retirement put too much strain on the assets and The assets, to some degree, might have been the hedge that when that loss of income comes at, you know, 85 or something, that those other assets are going to be able to sustain so that loss of income isn't that big of a deal. But now you've retired five, six years early, 10 years early, whatever, and you put a greater strain on the assets. And while you're both alive, you're fine. But then when that person dies, that hedge of those assets got drained out early, and now the surviving spouse doesn't have anything left. So it's not just about you and why you're both alive, but then looking at, okay, is this gonna create a greater problem for the spouse? And if that sort of thing happens, then it's like, okay, well, what are some of the solutions? Again, some of the solutions to this is you keep working in a job that you enjoy, but you earn you know, to relieve that stress, identifying what do your discretionary expenses look like. And so during that time where you were supposed to be working, but now you're not working, can you reduce the strain on the assets by decreasing some of those discretionary expenses? Or if you you've got maybe 13 months before you're going to retire, and you know it's still early, but you're going to you're going to stick it out for another year or whatever. Okay, while you have this income, decrease your discretionary spending and pay off some of that debt early. Right. You know, so relieving some of that stress of expenses that will be there when you will be retired. So there's a lot of different solutions, but you know sometimes it comes down to well, how bad do you want it? you know, what do you want to sacrifice to make this happen early? Do you want to sacrifice your income today and put some more towards debt? Do you want to sacrifice some of your travel by decreasing it so that you can, you know, get out of this job now? And so, and depending on what kind of sacrifice the client wants to make, going out and get a job, some other type of job for three years or whatever, that could be a sacrifice. If if they're not willing to make some sacrifices, then, you know, the plan's just going to be what it is and they're going to drain out and, you know, but it's going to Ho- and an wish, absorption.
1: Yeah. <laughs> let's let's hope and wish that the plan works. And, and I see that far too often when we talk about real financial advising as solving problems. You know, I hear, well, my advisor told me that I was going to be fine. Okay, awesome. Like, that's, that's great. But what did they do to factually show you that you're going to be fine? And what steps were taken to show you what some of the pitfalls could be? Like you talked about loss of spouse, was there some time spent building a, a unique holistic plan or was it, oh, well, my advisor just looked at my statements, not taking into account everything that's going on, all the income sources, all the expenses, all the things that we want to do in retirement. And they just say, yeah, you're going to be, you're going to be fine without any real work. And I, I hear that far too often. And then we do an evaluation or review a portfolio and we bring out all of these issues that you talked about. And we didn't even talk about, investment risk or market corrections and things like that, you know, the things that we don't have control over, the inflations, the longevity, the market risk, we don't have any control over what the market's going to do over the next 10 years. But what we we preach in the classes and in our retirement elevated classes or in the meetings that we take is control what you can control and you can plan. Building a plan is what you can control. I can't control what the markets are going to do, what inflation is going to do and what longevity is going to do but let's do everything we can from a planning perspective to account for those unknowns.
0: Yeah, usually when we're sitting in front of somebody and they're working with an advisor and they have those questions, that, you know the, the advisor said it was gonna be fine. The only reason they're sitting down with us is because they don't necessarily believe what that advisor is saying. Now, why don't they believe it? It's usually because there are things missing that even though the client may not know what their RMD situation looks like or what their potential tax situation looks like and they never went through it. But they know there's something missing. They're kind of going, there's more to it than this. Right. Even though they don't really know what those things are. And that's just the lack of comprehensive planning. And it takes a lot more than looking at your portfolio and saying, oh, you got you know 6% this year. So, And when we project out 6% or you know, based on this, it's, you're going to be fine. The client wants to see a little bit more. And you, when they're coming in and sitting down with us, and we're going through things that they've never had somebody go through them with, they're... A lot of times we'll hear, this is what I'm looking for. I've been working with an advisor for 30 years, and nobody's ever told me about that. Nobody's ever explained this like that. And then, again, like you said to the review process, the review process is simply us going through all the things that we've gone through and doing an evaluation on it. Right. (laughs) And just saying, okay, where, so it's not just about are you going to be fine, but it's us going through all the details and not reassuring our own plan is good because we don't want to get emotionally invested in the plan that we created. We want to continue to poke holes in it and show the client, okay, listen, if this continues like this, it could be a problem. And so I'll often relate it if you're on a ship, a large ship, think of the Titanic or something like that. And you can see an iceberg, you know, 50 miles away or 20 miles away or whatever it is. And to avoid it, you really don't have to turn that wheel more than a degree. And you're going to miss it by a mile. But we want to identify those potential things way down the road. And that's part of that continuing monitoring process. Because if you get too close to those icebergs, You spin that wheel as much as you want, and you're going to hit it, and there's nothing you can do. And so just kind of looking and continuing to evaluate our own work and punching holes in it where we can. And then when the client sits down with us, if we're identifying those things and we tell them, okay, you're going to be fine, they believe it because we've gone through every little aspect of it, and we're continuing to review it. And if there is a problem, we're going to tell them, hey, listen, this could pose a problem. And so these are some of the things we might want to do to correct it.
1: Right. I mean, you look at it and pose the question quite a bit. If there was a problem, when would you want to know about it now? Five years from now? Ten years from now? Well, obviously, you'd want to know about it now so you can solve it. And what we're talking about today is, is real financial advising is solving problems. It's not an investment strategy. It is solving problems, taking the time to build a clearly defined income plan that, that encompasses income, investments, tax, health care, and estate planning. I want to thank Chris Cordova. Uh, RICP for being on the podcast with us today. He's one of the advisors here in our office. And once again, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us. You can reach us at 855-50-RETIRE or go to our website at elevatemyretirement.com. we look forward to speaking with everybody again soon. We thank you for listening to the podcast today. Have a great week. Happy holidays. We'll talk to you next time. All the best.
0: Investment advisory services offered through Elevated Capital Advisors, LLC and SEC Registered Investment
1: Advisor.